1 John chapter 3, 1 John 13, 23. We might get off that page in a few weeks. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse number 11. If you find your place, I ask you to stand with me and would you follow along because I'll have you to read a verse or two with me, alright? First John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is a message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil. And his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now verse 16, let's read this one together. Ready? Whereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him. Now, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Verse 18, let's read it together. And here's where the title comes from, alright? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Loving in deed and in truth. With this subtitle, what does Christian love look like? What does Christian love look like? Let's go to the throne of grace one more time. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Jason if he would to please pray. All right. Amen. You be seated. Loving indeed and in truth. First of all, tonight we see here a clear definition of love. Today, if you were to ask any individual, would you please define for me what love is? And you would probably be amazed at what kind of definition you would get. Maybe being be embarrassed by the different definitions that you might be told. But here tonight in the Word of God, we have a clear definition of what love truly is. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now here it is. Because He laid down His life for us. The starting point, the foundation, the very basis of everything that John says in his Gospels and in these epistles is this. The greatest love ever witnessed and put on display was Jesus Christ laying down His life for us. No greater, no greater display. We read John 3.16 and I was talking to someone earlier today. We, we, sometimes we, we've heard passages so much that we fail to, 
to really grab hold of the, the richness of them. For God so loved the world. We read that, we've all read it hundreds and thousands of times. But do you understand when he says that? That he gave his only begotten son. He's saying this. This is the greatest love that's ever been displayed to anyone, anywhere in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So Jesus Christ defines for us what love was that day. It embodies love. It reveals love. It communicates love. makes love real and sets the standard and the model for love for all times, for any generation. I'm, I'm thrilled. And we'll celebrate in a couple months the time of Jesus' birth and coming to Bethlehem. I praise God for that. I praise God for His teaching, His preaching. Hallelujah for that. I thank God He fed the multitudes. On many occasions He fed thousands. Praise God for that. I thank God for every miracle and healing that He gave. And all of those things are wonderful. But when Jesus loved us, He loved us to the end of His life. And, and we rewarded that with a horrible, terrible, shameful cross. That's how we rewarded Him for that. He loved us in despite betrayal and desertion. He loved us despite wrongful conviction and execution. He loved us despite the ridicule and the contempt and the ugliness of that day. He loved us in spite of all the hatred that was there. He loved us with a love that took everything. He loved us. He took everything the world and Satan could find him. He loved us. And yet he was never defeated. He was never corrupted. He was never broken. Praise God, he was never taken down. That's defining love, amen. Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. He gave us everything he had. And that is the greatest expression of love that's ever been given, that's ever been known. Greater love, Jesus said had no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. On one occasion, the Bible says that they'll come and they'll say, Master, where did your scars in your hands and come from? Where did your beard stand? He said, I got them in the house of my friends. Christ's love is life-giving. And notice, he defines it another way. He gives a clear definition of love and Jesus laying down His life for us. And I'll be honest with you, what God's just so arrested my heart this week, we take that too lightly, too lightly, too carelessly. The greatest, the clearest definition of love was Christ laid down His life for us. But then He does something else. He doesn't have to do this, but He does. He defines it for you and I, and I think he had me in mind when he did this. He said, let me give you the contrast to genuine love 
which is hatred, and let's put them side by side. He said, let me contrast what real love is about. So not only did he give a clear definition of love, but he gave a contrast to this love, which is hatred. Not as Cain. Now, to get a contrast, he goes back to the first time, to the first time, not with Satan. Of course, Satan was in the garden, and, and Satan was, was wicked. He was the wicked one. But the first time, you and I see hatred displayed, put on, put on display, and, and, and men and women, just like you and I, Cain and Abel were just like you and I. We saw it that day, whenever they were to bring, a, when Abel brought a spotless lamb, a type, if you will, to one day when John would stand on the shore and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. A type of that was in that day when Abel brought a spotless lamb. And yet Cain here, he's angry, he's full of hatred, and literally murders his brother. He says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? And he tells us why he done it. We don't have to guess. The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Because his own works were evil, and his brothers righteous. And from the very beginning. So in this contrast, we see two things. One, we see the realness of hatred. It's there. Hatred's not a game. It's not a trial. A trivial thing. Hatred's not something to be ignored. Hatred's not something to be played with as a toy or dabbled in or amused with. Hatred's very, very real. Hatred leads to murder. As watching the results of, of the election and they had a news flash and they had this some of you might saw it, this, this young girl, 21, maybe 22, and this man, it's okay, he abducts her, and later on they find he's, she, he's using her card, and the one that she'd been missing now 20-some hours, and he just, it's all on camera. Hatred's very, very real. But I love this. There's no gray area here. There's no in-between here. There is a clear contrast. One thing the Bible does, it gives us a contrast. One of the reasons the world hates the Word of God, and a world we live in today hates the Word of God, is this. There's no, there's no, there's no gray areas in, in truth. They, they some things we might debate about, but some things we want good, and evil. There's no in-between. Light and dark. There's no in-between. You realize that light either occupies this building or darkness does? 
If light shows up, darkness has to flee. It has no choice. Has no choice. Truth and lies. Righteousness and sinfulness. Life and death. There ain't nobody about dead. There ain't nobody about alive. You're either alive or you're dead. There's really no in-between. You might be heading that way, but there's no in-between. God and the devil. Christ and the Antichrist. Right and wrong. See, what we've been told is this. Everything is relevant. Everything is justified. Everything is explained. Why? But I'm telling you, in the Word of God... There's no in-betweens. And there's no in-betweens here. In First John, the Lord makes it clear, there's no wavering. There's no compromise. And they're not just words. They're just not opposite emotions. Love and hate are hard. Practical realities that are very real in our world. Very tangible in our world. And long-lasting in her consequences. So the first thing is the realness of hatred. We're still murdering one another. We're still wicked because we're those are, are from the wicked one. Number two, the reality that love and hatred can never coexist side by side. You can't start on one side and end up on the other. It just ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen. You don't cross over and mix and match. James 3.11 says it this way. Probably says it the best that you'll ever find. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter. It's impossibility for it to do that. If you go get your drink of water, it's either going to be sweet water or bitter water. It's not going to, it cannot be both. Love, however, I love this. A right starting place leads to a good conclusion. Wrong starting place leads to a horrible conclusion. Love leads to life and the giving of life. Hate leads to murder and death. And we hear about this contrast every day. Someone said, man, the world's just getting more and more wicked. No, we just got more people following the wicked one. That's what you have. Uh, there, there are acts of injustice, acts of revenge and crime, then acts of just profound stupidity, amen? But when we understand the reality of hate and sin and murder in our world, and it seems to be growing... So he starts in his passage giving us the clear definition of what love is. I wonder tonight, what, how would you define love? Would you define love by how someone treats you or doesn't treat you? Is that how you define love? Do you define love if someone gives you a gift or someone doesn't give you a gift? I think what was Gary Smalley wrote a book on the, the five languages of love. 
And uh, be good if you're made to read that, but, but I'm just telling you, it doesn't really define love. And we use the word so carelessly and so loosely, do we not? You know, we love, we, we love, we said, well, I love you. Now, I, we, we didn't grow up that way, we, we never did, but I'm just simply saying, some people know, I, well, I love you, and well, I love my dog, and I love my truck, and I love this, and love that, and love this. And I, I mean, you know, praise God, just, we use the word loosely. But when you get down to clearly defining what love is, this is what love is. That Jesus Christ shed His blood on Calvary and laid down His life for me. That is love. Plus, minus, nothing. You say, but you mean He did that when you didn't love Him? Oh, no, no. He did that while I was a sinner. He did that while I hated Him. He did that when I mistreated him. Genuine love is not based on what someone else does. It is based on what someone has already done if you're saved. What is I I, I really I'm just gonna I'm not maybe beating this horse a little bit, but you need to get this. You won't be near as out of shape with love this way if you ever, ever get a hold of the love that's being given to you this way. All of this love is secondary, small. But I stop and think, man, he died for me. He loved me. They didn't take his life. He laid it down. If I get a hold of that, then when someone loves me this way, good. But if someone doesn't love me this way, it's still good. You know what? It's still all right. It's still okay. Because He loved me enough to die and lay down His life for me. So He gives a clear definition. Then He gives a contrast. Behold Him. That's all there is. I mean, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, I hear it all the time. I mean, you know, okay, we got the Republicans in the, in the Senate and in the House, and it's going to get better. I mean, if you believe the Bible. I, I, I've looked. And, boy, I was given a precious gift today, you mean? And, I, and I'm sure it ain't in there either. Nowhere in the Bible do I find that the Democrats and Republicans uh, uh, maintain majority when the world gets... Bible says we're going to get wickeder and wickeder. We see the coming of the Son of Man. So I hate to tell you this. Now, I voted. If you want to know afterwards, you come and see me. I'll be glad to tell you. I'm not ashamed who I vote for. But I'm just simply saying, hey, don't fix nothing. Because it's going to get wicker and wicker. So what are we to do? What are we to do? So are we going to get some M16s and get us an Abram tank and put it out front? Are we to, are we to start counting 44s? I'm going to give you the biggest one I can get. Amen. David's got a, David's got a gun. It's called the judge. Ain't one problem with it. If I shoot it, it'll probably knock me down. 
Amen. Take pretty good size. He said, get the gun. I want you to... What's the answer? Here's the answer. If you get this tonight, you'll leave understanding it's the greatest truth we've ever been given. Praise God, that's not all there is to it. Love not only leads to life now in this world, but love is a gift and reality of eternal life in the world. We know, we know, we know that we pass from death unto life because what? We love the who? Brethren. The word brethren there is other believers. Then comes the contrast. He that loves not his brother abideth in death. Hate leads to murder in this world. Hate is a sign of an absence of eternal life in the world to come. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Someone says, but preacher, does that mean the people that commit murder cannot be saved? I think what he's saying there. Anyway, he's saying. He's trying to give you a contrast. He's trying to show you that if, if the love of God is in you, it works here. Praise God, it works throughout eternity. But if the love of God ain't in you, then hate's there. Hate and murder's here. You don't have to murder somebody to shoot them. How many understands that? You don't have to do that. So life and death, good and evil, love and hate never successfully coexist, as we said earlier. So, but is there anything stronger? If the murder and the hatred is all that it is, is there anything stronger? Well, praise God there is. And that is the conquering power of His love. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Here's what will stand up to all the hatred and murder and ugliness there is in this world, and that is this, the love of God. It's what takes on this world. It'll stand up to it. It'll defeat the onslaught of hate and murder and death. Jesus again laid down his life. He unleashed the greatest power this world has ever seen or known. I was I was so thrilled. Monday or yesterday. I think it's yesterday. We've been praying for my brother. And um, I've been out of the will of God and I give up judging where people saved or lost. Amen. I, but thank God saying, you do it if you want. I just give up on that mess. I'm just praying for him. God, if he ain't saved, save him. If he is saved, just tear him up. Get a hold of him. Well, God has getting a hold of him. And uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, he's just about, just about putting him flat on, flat on his back. And, uh, but he called me. He's talking to me about the Lord and how good the Lord had helped him. And, and, uh, and he said, well, I got a request. He said, he said uh, how do I reach my, my boys? He's crying. How do I reach my boys? And I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, 
We've spent hours talking to him, have we not, Eddie? I mean, we've made him mad. We've made him glad. We've done everything in our power. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know I need to. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know I need to. But as he was talking, I thought, I said, son, what got you there? What got you there? He said, well, I guess just God just began to show me yet give up on me. And I guess God just showed me he still cared. And he said, I guess God just showed up in my life again. Put me on stop. Said, you ain't going to be a father. He said, God just showed up again. I said, son, that's the answer for your sons. That's the answer for your children. See, we're looking this away to try to get people to fix people. <laughs> I fixed a few of them. They ain't mean on the devil tonight. Amen. They mean on junkyard dogs. They ain't done something. We can't fix nobody. But is it not amazing? Is it not amazing what God can do in life? Is it not amazing? I, I think y'all get right with God for doing it, but I'm so glad he did. But uh, I went and seen Jimmy years ago. He, he run me off. He told me, I, you remember working on that old truck? You said, you better leave. And I looked at him, and I looked at me, and I said, okay. <laughs> Stupid, you know. But I said this, can I come back? He said, yeah, I reckon. And I love this because it's monumental. I remember the day, and I said, Jimmy, of all the things I've said to him, he didn't pay a bit of attention to me, I don't think. I said, Jimmy, have you ever known anybody that knew God? You, that big man back there, I, I think he was a weeping. He said, yep, I had a grandmother. I had a grandmother. Please what you told me. That a grandmother. That is the answer. That's the answer. The conquering power of his love. It's out of this world. There's nothing in this world compares to it. Only a love of God displayed by Jesus Christ. It's sufficient to stand up and defeat the powers of hate and murder and death. When Jesus laid down his life, he literally took on all the world had to offer. Why are you going to fight with Jesus? Here's what I'm going to fight with. I'm going to love him so much that I'm going to lay down my life. Now you just take this to the bank. The most precious thing you have here tonight is our life. Are you listening? He laid down the most precious thing he had. Now, don't miss this. If you and I possess the precious name that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we shoulder the same responsibility in this world. Living, sharing, spreading. Love of Christ. It's not a love that says, okay, come over here. And it's not a love. Listen, 
well, okay, we just got to love them, so we're going to join them in their... It's not that kind of love. It's not that kind of love. It's not the kind of love that says you've got to join them to win them. Odds are you won't win them at all. Odds are they'll affect you more than you'll affect them. It ain't that. No. It ain't the kind of love that compromises truth. Compromises truth to win them. Oh, no, no. It's a kind of love that says, I'm going to tell you the truth. Oh, Paul on one occasion said to the church, he said, he said, there was a time you would pluck your eyes out for me. And I'm saying, man, I wonder where that church is. They plucked their eyes out for him. I had a couple want to pluck my eyes out, but not their own for me. They'll pluck their eyes out for me. Then he made this thing. He said, but now do you hate me because I tell you the truth? So it's not a love that compromises and the Lord never compromised the truth to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or when no one around, but didn't change his love that he had for them either. Enough that he would die for them. So we find that as we, and don't miss what this kind of love is hard. Because it takes on the onslaught of the world. It's vicious lies, it's falsehoods, it's blows, it's daggers. Without hate, without striking back, without cussing, without returning a slap for a slap. And that's hard. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And if there's ever an evidence he was the Son of God, that's it. The reality of the love of God the hate-conquering and life-giving love of God, the saving love of God captures us, makes us His own, redirects our life, and, and, and the saving love of God, it, it perpetuates itself through us. The greatest witness you'll ever be is for others to say, man, they love God. Well, that person loves God. That person. On one occasion, the apostles, people, they knew they were ignorant and unlearned men. That kind of sounds slap in the face. I mean, we know they're stupid, but here's what they said. But they said, we took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They knew he'd been with Jesus. This love that he was talking about, this life given of Christ on the cross, it contracts. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a contrast, a, 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 a direct opposite to the life-taking murderous hatred of Cain. And realities of both of, of them is in this world and in the next. But then God give us some terms for you and I. Some terms. He's not directing the devil's crowd. You're, you're part of that Cain loving, hating crowd. God's not directing you at all. But He is directing you and I. He says, first of all, He said, This is a message that you've heard from the beginning. Number one, we should love one another. Now, that's not just a love that says that 
angry and never honest. Not that kind of love. But here's what he said. He says we're to love one another. Now, it starts though. And here's where you, here's where you get it. We will never be able. Now, just if you get this, it'll change your life. I can never love George Brown as a Christian brother the way I should until I am settled in the love of God that Jesus has put in my heart. If that love of God is real here, then it becomes easy here. Well, what George mistreats me doesn't change my love. Because my love for him doesn't come from him to me and then to God. It doesn't come that direction. It comes this direction. That's the reason why when people don't do act the way you think they should, then what you need to find out is how's that love between you and God? Because if that love's this way's right, I don't know if the love of this way and in this world we live in will ever be right. This world don't know how to love. Husbands and wives don't know how to love one another if the love this way ain't right. 1980, uh, we got married in 1975, and that first five years, rough. Amen. She's in the nursery. She'll never know. He's rough. And, uh, but in Calvary Baptist Church, Sammy Allen's a preaching. And he gives the altar call this way. If you know beyond a shadow of doubt that you're saved, I want you to stand up. And everybody stood. He said, I want you to find you a place in the altar and pray for these that can't come. And we all left. And Darlene sat there. And God convicted her and saved her. I'm telling you, the Stein's household picked up after that. It's been wonderful since then. I'd marry her again. That first five years, I ain't sure I'd marry her at all. It was wonderful. Because our love this way was right. Then our love to each other this way can be right. Bible says, love one another. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. That's what God said. That's where you got to start. But notice, in a second, it's like this. Hold it. Don't miss this. Namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Number one, God says love one another. Number two, God live for others. God live for others. Hereby perceive we the love of God that we that He laid down His life for us and hold it, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let me just stop here and say this: We've never been asked to do this yet. I said, yet. Most of us have never been asked to do this yet. I'm not real sure before we get out of here. If we won't have to make that decision, I'm really not. I'm not trying to be discouraging. I'm just simply saying, I don't know. We, we, we may have to make that decision, but somehow. Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. Killers went in seeking athletes and ethnic minorities. Casey Bernelli was asked 
by one of the killers if she believed in God. Looking down the barrel of a gun, Casey said yes. And then she was killed. And in the face of certain death, she refused to betray Jesus Christ. She refused to reject her faith. She chose instead to be a witness to the killers and all them around her. But most of us will never be asked to do that. But I'll tell you what we will be asked. If you'll know something in verse 16, the word brethren is plural. But notice verse 17. There's a distinct change. It is brother singular. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's what He said. He said you ought to be willing. The word ought has the ideal of you being willing to lay down for all of us that's around here and here in this people. But notice what He said this in verse number 17. But whosoever hath this world's good to see his brother singular have need and shut up his bowels of compassion from him how dwelleth the love of God in him. It's easier to love mankind than it is to love that person that lives with you. It's easier to love the world than my neighbors. It's easier to love the church than to love the people sitting across the aisle. Let's face it, some people are hard to love. Winston Churchill and Lady Astor, they, they was always enemies. Lady Astor said, if, you were, if I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your drink. Churchill replied, if, I were, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. Amen. We meet people we struggle with. Some people are hard to love. What are we to do? Love them anyway. Forgive them anyway. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Help them. One story, and i got to stop. Years ago, it was a little white church. There's a dude come by, and I mean, he caused them godless mess ever was. And just, and I, I'm honest, I got angry. I, I did. I was plumb angry with him. You say you ain't supposed to get angry. I know I ain't sanctified yet. Amen. I blame angry. I had his face. And uh, I mean, I said, you, you're wrong. He was wrong. And I said, you can leave. And the next day, God is my witness. Next day, he called. He said, can the church help me with some food? I, I, I just, you got to love this. I called Brother George. I said, Brother George! Can you believe what he done? And George, in that soft tone of voice, here's what he said. He said, Pastor, reckon what Jesus would do. I thought, I don't want to hear that. So you know what I done? I boxed him a food. And then I went back in there and I put a little extra in it. And when he came to the door, I said, Sir, I fully believe you was wrong yesterday in what you done. But I said, here's your box of food. Hope it blesses you and hope it helps you. See, Christian love always expresses itself in action. And the Bible says, now, here's the danger. My little children, that it's not word, love in word, neither in tongue. Not in word and in tongue. But he said, but in deed and in truth. God said, I want you to do it in deed. But he said, I want you to put that truth in there as well. 
If we're judging our Christian faith on the basis of our love for one another, how are we doing? Are we passing the test? I'll put you several things in, in the back here. Let me just read you a couple and we're going to pray. You'll never really love until you love someone who hates you. Being loved is the second blessing. Loving is the greatest. I love this one. I cannot love you as I love myself until I love God as I ought to love Him. That's the greatest truth I've heard. I cannot love you as I love myself until I love God as I ought to love Him. How true that is. Tonight, what does Christian love look like? Well, we try to give you a clear definition, the contrast. But the greatest thing is the conquering power of the love of God. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you ten stories, but it's all stand to your feet. Every head bowed.